Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. in the book of Revelation. For those of you that are new, I'm Pastor Joey. I want to say welcome to you today. And uh, it is an exciting thing to see guests in the house of God. And just as we sang, there is joy here today. And so we are excited that you're here with us. And we have this three-week challenge. We challenge all of our guests to come three weeks in a row because we believe and are praying for that in those three weeks, you find a home here at Vertical Life Church. And uh, coming up here shortly on the 27th is our Next Steps membership class. So if you've been coming and you feel like God is leading you to not just date this church, but go steady with this church, then uh, we invite you to come to the membership class. It's one night uh, talking about vision, direction, what God, what you believe God is doing with our church and what, what he wants us to be in this community and uh, allow you to partner your ministry with ours. And that will be an exciting time. Uh, it's just amazing to see does our family continue to grow? And that's our prayer. Amen? Amen. So we are going to continue with the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. This will be the second part to this church, uh, church's letter. If you haven't kind of caught on, there's a lot in these letters to dive in. If we, if we were to pull everything out God was saying or revealing, we'd be here till Jesus comes back, right? So so we're just we're going to do our best to kind of pull in and... and just to be honest, just to be upfront with you, today's message is not the message I wanted to teach. I wanted to talk about something else. Uh, and we're going to get into that next week, uh, Lord willing, right? But, but today I just believe that there is a word here for at least one person, maybe several people today. The, the reason why God wouldn't let me kind of skip over this and move on to what I wanted to do is because there's, there's somebody, or like I said, maybe a few that need to hear what God is saying to the church of Philadelphia and really what God is saying to you. Now, again, just to recap where we were last week. I mean, last week we got a little frisky. We spanked the devil a little bit. That was a lot of fun. We got to see how God overcame the devil and see how when Jesus died, he wasn't just, you know, sleeping in the grave. He was at work and he was working the devil. He was putting it to him. It's so exciting, and just like that visual of the Hulk smashing Loki around and about from the Avengers, just it sticks in my head, and I hopefully that sticks in your head, because any time you think you have a big devil, you need to step back and realize you have an even bigger God, and he's the champion. But Jesus didn't just die, he also came back to life, and he came back to life with the keys of death and Hades. The keys of the kingdom, he, with the keys of David, and he has opened the door now. We, we know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So what Jesus has done is he has opened the doors to the gates, and now there is nothing in death, nor life, nor principalities, nor in the powers of this world, the present age, or in the powers to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing can keep us in the grave, and because Jesus is risen from the dead, one day we too will rise to be with him forever and ever and ever. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And he's given us the keys of the kingdom. He's given us a mission. And so as we have that as the backdrop, as we get into Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, this is what Jesus is acknowledging 
as he begins to speak again to this church in verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 8 he says i know your works somebody say i know your works i know your works i have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut this is how jesus also began the letters to ephesus to thyatira to sardis as he begins by saying i know your works do you know that Man may look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God doesn't miss a thing. He sees everything. He sees everything. You can't hide from God. It doesn't matter how far you go. The scripture says you can go down to the depths of the sea or to the heights of the heavens, and wherever you are, the presence of the Lord is there. You can't get away from him. The eyes of the Lord see everything. He knows everything you've ever done, the good and the bad. But see, most of us, we focus on the bad. We focus on, man, I made this mistake. I've messed this up. I hurt this relationship. I've done all this stuff. And God knows those things. But what he's more interested in are the things done for the kingdom of God. He says, I know your works. And behold, I have opened a door for you. What door did he open? The door to everlasting life. And no one can shut the door. No one can close this door on this church and not only has he opened the door to everlasting life, he's encouraging these believers in the midst of their work that he's opened a door for ministry to the Lord, that they can rejoice, that death has no power over them. They don't need to fear what is to come because on the other side of this life is everlasting life. So they can live boldly, they can live loudly, they can live proudly that they know Jesus and are identified with him. And Jesus tells these believers, again, I've opened this door. And they needed this encouragement. Because of the rest of the verse, he says, I know that you have but little power. But yet you've kept my word. You've remained faithful. You have not denied my name. The city of Philadelphia and this church was hurting. You have but little power. And I believe this is an encouraging word, again, for some of you in here. You have been faithful to God. You've been doing everything that you've been trying to do to please the Lord with your life. But yet you have little power. Little strength. You're barely hanging on. And if that's you here today, I would just like to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. Look around the room. Look at all the hands. Beloved, you're not alone. You're not alone. And this is why the Lord wants to speak to you today. He knows your work. And he knows you have little power. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we come to you in your presence, and we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace, mercy, and kindness. You know our need before we speak it, and you've already prepared the way. And so, God, I just pray that your presence would descend, and the strength and hope that we need to keep going, to remain faithful, to stay strong in this desperate hour, God, that that power would be released right now in the name of Jesus. 
And again, we speak to every spirit against us, every distraction, every scheme and plan of the enemy. We say, not today, Satan. Get out in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you have for us today. And God's people said, amen and amen. Just a little backstory on the city of Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia was roughly um, just uh, located 20 miles southwest of a volcano. It was a region prone to seismic activity. This, this ancient city was not a major city in the province of Asia, but it was on the southern highway that was connected to Pergamum and part of Asia Minor, which made it a strategic location for both settlers and traders and military personnel. And so as they are they're in this way, they have a, a huge opportunity to have many people come through their town. But again, they were located near a volcano, and an earthquake in AD 17 badly damaged the city, which prompted Emperor Tiberius to remit the taxes for five years so that they could rebuild the city. Uh, scholar Strabo in his geography describes the damage done by the seismic activity in the region. However, he claims that it is because of the volcanic activity that the region was filled with nutrient-rich soil. Isn't it just like God to take something devastating and use it to your benefit? Right? So they, they were prone to these, these natural disasters. The economy of Philadelphia consisted of wool working and the cultivation of grapes to make wine. It appears to have been most famous for its winemaking. Strabo also calls the wine most excellent. But in AD 92, Emperor Domitian issued an edict in the province of Asia that at least half of the vineyards needed to be cut down because of the scarcity of corn and the abundance of wine. So here the, the writ of the emperor in one fell swoop cuts the economy of the city in less than half. And in roughly around AD 90, is around the time scholars believe Jesus Christ is writing this letter to the church as he's giving John this vision. So simultaneously, as God, God is giving revelation to John, this city and these believers in this city are struggling with famine, with economic hardship, and also many natural disasters. So these believers began to endure harsh environmental and economic circumstances. So when Jesus speaks to them and he says, you have little power, that word for power can mean physical strength, force, or might. But in the plural sense, it can mean powerful deeds or showing marvelous works or many plentiful, great, and, other, and marvelous works. In other words, this church, because of all the chaos in their lives, all the things they were dealing with at the time, they were weak physically from a lack of nourishment. They are weak economically for a lack of funds because of their economic status. They were dealing with hardship in, in their community, in their culture. And they were also spiritually weak because they were not exhibiting great acts of faith or great works of faith. They had become holistically depressed. There was chaos everywhere, and they were barely hanging on to their faith. They hadn't denied the Lord. They were still faithful, but they weren't really active in doing much. 
They didn't deny him in word or deed, but yet they didn't have any major accolades to show for it, right? They weren't, they weren't planting other churches. They, they weren't making major gains. Their church wasn't growing. Their, their leaders didn't have top ten bestsellers on Amazon's book list. They didn't have a world-renowned worship team going around from place to place, selling, you know, millions of records. They were a weak church with barely anything to show for their accomplishments. And I relate to this to some degree because I know what it's like to have a vision from God. Maybe you relate. You have a vision from God for your life. You're doing everything you can think of to partner with God to make that vision a reality. But every time it seems like you take a step forward, there's three steps you have to walk backwards. Like there's something against you in every turn. And that can be disheartening and it can be discouraging when the things you believe God has promised you just haven't manifested in your life or aren't manifesting in your life. And that can be overwhelmingly tiring and spiritually exhausting. And there's a huge temptation to quit and to give up. There have been many woe is me sessions I've had with the Lord. I don't know if you're a baby like me sometimes, but you get down on yourself, you're like, this isn't, I quit, I'm done, I'm just walking away. And then you feel bad and you feel guilty and then you repent and you're like, okay, God, I didn't mean that. Until next time. I, this church, we got to tell the truth, right? Sometimes life's just hard. So even though the position of their city, historically, it was an open door to the culture. There was people coming through all the time. Many historians considered this place to even be a missionary city. Think about it being so transient that if they were alive with the gospel, just reaching a few people here and there would spread the gospel worldwide as these traders from everywhere are coming through. They had an awesome opportunity. But they didn't seem to be making any headway. Jesus had opened this door to them, encouraging them spiritually, like, look, there's nothing the enemy can throw against you that will break the fellowship that we have. You're, you don't have to fear going down into death. I conquered that. It's just life forevermore now. There's nothing to stand against you, nothing to stop you. But the Lord was also telling them, you may be struggling, but guys, you're on good footing. You're on good footing. Not only was economic hardship and fallout from natural disaster a constant challenge, but they also had opposition. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Jesus says, and again, we have these guys creeping up in other letters, but he says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. What's awesome about this church and what encourages me, even though they were small in impact, they were deeply loved by God. Even though it seemed like they were accomplishing nothing, they had nothing to show for their faith, they were deeply loved by God, and God is giving them these promises. He's blessing them. And again, this is one of only two churches in the book of Revelation that don't have any negative things spoken about them. There's not a rebuke of the Lord. It's, it's promises and, and it's encouragement. And what I love about this and what it tells me is that, beloved, 
Hear me. The blessings of God are not poured out simply because you accomplish a lot for the Lord. The blessings of the Lord are not poured out on those who do the most work for God or have the most success. The blessing of God is poured out on those who are faithful to the Lord. Even when it seems like you're accomplishing nothing. Even when it seems, and this is what it said about Jesus in Daniel. When it talks about the coming of the Messiah, it says the Messiah who would come, there would be an anointed one who would come that would die appearing to have accomplished nothing. Do you realize that when Jesus was here and he was ministering and he was doing all these things, when he died, what they had in mind was this vast and grand kingdom of God that would be unstoppable in the nation of Israel, and that never happened. It appeared that the Messiah didn't accomplish what the Messiah was going to do. So the goal isn't the works. The goal is faithfulness. Those who remain obedient to the Lord no matter the circumstances or the results. See, Jesus sees what's going on. He is not unaware of how these believers were struggling, nor was he unaware of those that were opposing him. They were persecuting them. And I love how the Lord responds. He responds by showing these believers how God takes it personally when people attack his children. Jesus takes it personally when someone attacks his bride. I can take a lot of abuse. You can say whatever you want about me. But I become a different person when you turn on my wife. Ask my children. You do not talk bad about my wife. You do not raise a fist to my wife. I take it personally when someone comes after my bride. And so does the Lord. He says to this church, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and learn that I have loved you. He's going to personally bring those standing against them to bow in honor at their feet. And there will be a lesson learned. And that lesson will be who is loved by God and who is not. Well, Pastor Joey, I thought God loved the whole world. He does. But what we're talking about is a distinguishing reality between who belongs to God and who are under the blessings of God and who stand opposed to God and are the enemies of God. And this just doesn't refer to the church. This goes back to how God dealt with Jacob and Esau. If you remember in the Old Testament, these boys, they were twins, and Esau was born first, but Jacob had his hand on his heel. So they were in competition even in the womb. You know, guys can make competition out of anything. Just let your imagination work. We'll figure out how to make it a competition. It can be spitting, it can be running, it can be whatever. So they were in competition. 
And Jacob, the entire time growing up, knew that the firstborn gets the blessing. That's, that's who gets the share of the inheritance. That's who gets the family name. That's who gets the blessing. And he was ready and waiting for the time where Esau could be found in a weak moment. And he had him trade his birthright for a little bowl of soup. That either was some great soup or Esau was about to die. One of the two. What good is my birthright if I'm going to die? Right? Who needs that? So... They trade the birthright. Then, as Isaac, the father, is about to die and pass on the blessing, Rachel, Jacob's mom, has this idea. Be like, look, you should have the blessing. So let's dress you up like your brother, and we'll get you the blessing. And that's what ends up happening. And, of course, at that point, Esau and Jacob are at each other's throats. They're angry with each other. And there are times where later in life they begin to kind of reconcile. But from this point on, Jacob and Esau are, as far as camps, are embittered enemies. And Esau tried multiple times, and his generations tried multiple times to win back the blessing. They even turned on the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, to try to conquer them and try to aid their enemies. But God was never with Esau. God was with Jacob. In Malachi chapter 1, this is what the oracle of the Lord is to uh, Esau and about Esau and Jacob. In Malachi chapter 1, it says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, verse 2, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. The difference between who God loves and who God hates is who God blesses and who God fights against. And so here he's saying the people of Israel have my name, they have my blessing, they have my presence. Everyone else stands against me and I will fight against them. Jacob was chosen for blessing. Esau was chosen for destruction. In Isaiah chapter 34, verses 4 and 5, it goes on to pronounce judgment against Edom. Edom was the descendants of Esau. The Edomites came from Esau's line. And this is a revelation of the last days as God is going to be pouring out his judgment in the end times. It says in verse 4, all of the host of heaven shall rot away. The skies will roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall, and as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. Verse 5, for my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Pause there for a moment. God's sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. What kind of event could be possible for the sword of the Lord to have drunk its fill. In the end of days, it's not just a battle against wicked mankind. It's also a battle against the wicked principalities and powers of the unseen world. And God is going to spare no expense to laying waste to every principality that has stood against the people of God in the kingdom of God. Then he turns from looking into heaven and he says, Behold, it descends for what? For Judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted for destruction. There's a difference between those devoted for salvation 
and those devoted for destruction. Those who repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are devoted for salvation. Those who reject Jesus, those who turn against God, are devoted for destruction. The Edomites were devoted for destruction. And this is how God is ultimately showing in judgment who is the object of his affection. Right? As he's saying, they will learn that I have loved you. What he's saying is, in the last day, they're not getting away with everything they've done. Judgment is coming. And this will be the ultimate in your face, the ultimate I told you so. Like, in your face, in your face. I told you so. When God makes every enemy of Israel eat their words in the last day, and every enemy of the church of Jesus Christ, every enemy of the beloved of God, they'll eat their words. For every believer in Jesus, followers of the Messiah, sons and daughters of the living God, how we know we can apply this to ourselves is in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul the Apostle writes a promise. He says, for all the promises of God, somebody say all the promises of God. All the promises of God find their yes, where? In who? Jesus. It's really hard to understand, it takes a lot of mental power to go back to the original language and discern what this word all means, but in a nutshell, all means all. Well, right? Nothing withheld. All of God's promises, which means if God promised Israel, he's promising those in Christ too. If God made a promise in the Old Testament, it's not unfulfilled in the New Testament. All of God's promises are yes in Christ. That's why it's through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. We agree with Christ. We receive his promises. In Christ, all their promises find their yes. So he'll do for us what he promised to do for Israel. And as God is looking at a powerless church, a weak church, as God is looking at some of you today, right here in this moment, tired and weak, your circumstances, your battle is sucking the life out of you. You have enemies surrounding you on every side. Maybe even coming at you from within you. Dealing with enemies of depression and anxiety. There are things coming at you from every direction. Through the prophet Isaiah, God makes a resounding promise. In Isaiah 54, 16 through 17. Isaiah 16, God says, Behold, I've created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. Verse 17, hear this, beloved, no weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. No weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is what you get as an inheritance from God in the judgment. Every voice, 
every word, every word of criticism, condemnation, every negative self-talk, everything people have put against you, every person that's tried to slow you down, get in your way, come against you, tear you down, God is going to put them at your feet and you're going to silence every word at the judgment seat of Christ. They will not get away with the garbage they're trying to dump on your head. That word vindication can also mean righteousness or to be declared innocent. They will be brought before God and they will be shown who's right and who's wrong. The Lord has spoken. Every false accusation will be silenced. Why? Because no weapon formed against you is going to succeed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil is the accuser. But beloved, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. And he will use even the people closest to you who can make the biggest impact in your life to lie to you, to get you to believe things about yourself that God has not said. To believe things about your life that God has not declared. He has many tricks and he has many schemes and he has many pawns he can use in our lives to come against us. And the weapons he uses against us, they may look sharp and they may look dangerous. They may appear powerful. They may appear like there's nothing you can do to stand against the weapons of the enemy. That what you're facing is too big, too strong, and too great. But beloved, what has God said? He has said no weapon formed against you will succeed. No weapon formed against you will prosper. This is your inheritance. The Lord has spoken. You will be vindicated. You know, this isn't in my notes, and I've been battling this back and forth, but I just, I just think it's important to remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the unseen world, right? When we deal with problems, when we deal with people problems, we need to remember that people really aren't the problem. Some days I don't want a people. Peopling's hard. I just don't want to be an adult today. I don't want a people today. Let me put the covers over my head and go back to sleep. But beloved, people aren't the problem. The influence behind them is the problem. And there is something that Paul tells us to do so that we can stand firm when we're under attack. He says to put on what? Put on the whole armor of God. Now, it's normal characterization that the armor, you know, you think of like a Roman soldier. You got the helmet, and you got the breastplate, and you got the fancy shoes, and the big shield, and the sword. It's often what we think about. But there's a new revelation I came across here recently that kind of turns that around, that it's not an image of a soldier that we need to keep in mind, but the image of the high priest. You see, the high priest had a helmet. It was a turban with a golden crown on it that said, holy to the Lord. He had a breastplate with 12 precious stones with every name of the people of God on his breastplate. He had a sash for a belt. But he didn't have shoes. He wasn't allowed to have shoes. 
And isn't it interesting that in Ephesians 6, he doesn't say, put on your shoes. He says, for as shoes, wear the gospel of peace. So it's interesting that we walk not with shoes done for war, but we walk with the gospel, which is the ultimate act of spiritual warfare. As we tear down strongholds by the preaching of the gospel. And what's interesting about the high priest is that God often sent the priests in front of the military before battle carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the presence of God within it. So as the priests would march with the presence of God, if you think Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, they marched around the city seven times. They didn't have to fire a shot. They didn't have to send an arrow. They merely had to sound the call and worship the Lord at the appointed time, and those walls fell down. There is a great power when the priests of God Most High recognize who it is that they carry with them. And the shield of faith, it's not a physical shield, but it's trust in Almighty God and everything He has spoken and everything He has declared. The shield of faith is unrelenting trust in the very Word of God. And what is the Word of God? It's the sword of the Spirit. A priest doesn't need a physical shield or a sharp sword when he has God as his defense and he has his Word as his weapon. To stand firm in the day of evil. We're not waging war like humans do, but we have divine weapons that can tear down the strongholds of human reasoning and every false argument trying to lead people away from knowing God. How do we do this? By taking our thoughts captive and submitting them to the obedience of Christ. We need to begin fighting like priests of God, not in our own strength, but in the mighty power of God. But so often we come against the devil like we're soldiers in the Roman army. Our strength, our knowledge, our wisdom, and we can't win war like that. But when we walk in faith, declaring his word, we'll win every time. Why? Because no weapon formed against us will prosper. And what I love is that in Deuteronomy 32, 35, Jesus this is also quoted again in the New Testament, but here's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. He says, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. Vengeance is the Lord's. We don't need to get vengeance. We don't need to take revenge because we have an avenger. We have one who is standing to fight with us, fight for us. That word recompense means payback, retaliation. God is going to get payback. God is going to pay them back. And what I love here, it says, for the time when their foot shall slip. The people against you, there is an appointed time when their foot's going to slip. God has already written it. So my encouragement, hang on. Hold the shield. Declare the word. Continue moving forward. Because God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's gone before you. He's got you from behind. And every arrow shot your way, God is going to turn around 
and throw it right back at the enemy. And there's an appointed time. Your struggle is not forever. Your struggle is not permanent. This battle won't last forever. It's coming to an end. And in that day, you will see the glory of the Lord. The ones who stood against you will see how they weren't just standing against you, but they were standing against the God with you. Scripture says how fearful it is to fall in the hands of the Lord. They will see that the Lord was on your side, that you are the one that he loved. You're the one he loved. You're the one he's with. You're the one he's chosen for blessing, chosen for salvation. This reminds me of the story of Joseph. You know, God called him at a young age to be a great leader, and his whole life was nothing but a mess. His brothers were jealous. They betrayed him. They were going to kill him, but they decided that was not a great option, so they threw him in a pit. We're going to leave him for dead. And then they had another change of heart, and they decided to sell him into slavery. Imagine that dream, holding on to that dream. God, I thought I was going to be a great leader. Now I'm a slave. He goes from slavery to being falsely accused to being thrown in jail. Upwards of a decade of his life just rotting away, invisible, hidden to the world. One step forward, three steps back. Until one day, the Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph gets to interpret it, and he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And there was an appointed day when his brothers, the ones who stood against him, who caused all this pain and suffering, would come and kneel at his feet. And he had an opportunity to take vengeance, to pay him back. He could have done it. It would have been completely legal. No one would have batted an eye about it. But in Genesis 50, verse 20... With tears in his eyes, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Beloved, your struggle is not just about you. It's about the many people God is going to save, reach, restore, heal through you. Your story is your testimony, and God is going to use it in your life, if you let him, to make an impact in other people's lives. May it be for your children, your children's children, the many generations down along the way, or maybe people you work with, or someone you meet randomly, or that strange relationship that you knew from years ago that you re get reconnected with and just so happened they're going through the same thing. God is not just letting you go through this for you. He has a greater people in mind. So the enemy might mean it for evil, but God is going to turn around and use it for good. And you're going to see a multiplicity of blessing in your life. And I just get a sense of whatever you're going through, whatever is against you, the battles you're facing, as difficult as they are, as weak as you feel, you feel like you have little power. I just need to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And this is for you. Beloved, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One thing that every child of God has in common is persecution, is rejection, is struggle. Why? Because we have a common enemy who hates all of us. But like the church in Philadelphia, if you hold on, stay faithful, even with what little strength you have, even when there's little evidence to show in things going on around you, beloved, at the right time, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a move. And God is going to turn your pain into fulfilled promises. God is going to take your pain. He's going to turn it into fulfilled promises. And you'll see how God has been with you every step of the way. How he's been working all of these things out all along. And you'll be able to praise him with an unleashed heart. You'll be able to sing again. Right now you might not feel like you can sing to the Lord. But he's going to unlock your heart. You're going to be able to sing again. And praise again. And smile again. And celebrate the goodness of the Lord again when you see his glory. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's going to see to it that the enemy gets payback. But he's also going to see to it that you are rebuilt, re-strengthened, put back together, shattered heart mended, hope that's lost, restored. God himself is going to bring your healing. He's going to restore your life, your relationships. He's going to do it. Beloved, God has opened a door for you. A door no one can shut. When he closes a door, no one can open it. He's going to close the door to the enemy in your life. And he's going to open the door to your freedom. And it's a door of hope, a door of victory, a door of vindication, a door of celebration, and a door to the road of God's glory. And beloved, you can trust him. You can trust him as you walk through the door. Why? Because he is the Holy One who is faithful and true. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your encouragement. And God, I just confess to you in my own life, when I have struggles, sometimes it's hard to hold on to promises. Sometimes it's easier to walk in disbelief because we just don't see the reality in front of us. But God, you said that the people of God walk by faith and not by sight. And so, God, I pray you give us eyes to see beyond 
the physical reality beyond just the struggle and turmoil. God, give us eyes to see what you're doing and how you're working and how you're moving. Give us ears to hear your voice, to know which way to turn, what steps to take. Because we know, God, you're with us and you're leading us. Your lamp, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, we know that you're directing. God, help us cling to the shield of faith. As the priest of God most high, knowing that you are with us. God, teach us to use the sword of the spirit to come against every attacker that would come our way, that would try to tear us down. God, strengthen our armor that we would know that on the breastplate of righteousness, it's not our righteousness, it's your righteousness. And if you're our great high priest, Lord Jesus, we know that on your breastplate are precious stones, and on the stones are the names of every child of God. That we're close to your heart. God, help us to remember that on our head is the helmet of salvation, and written are the words, holy to the Lord. We're set apart. Why? Because we're the ones that you love. We hold a special place in your heart. And we know, God, that you are our strong tower. You are our place of safety. You're the place we run for refuge. You are our hope. And you're our peace. And God, I just pray for those that are here tonight. I pray for the ones who raised their hands. And I pray for those who maybe didn't raise their hand. God, they might not be in a circumstance, but one day they'll enter into one. Or maybe they've come out of one and they're still wounded and hurt. I just pray, God, that the God of grace, that you would show yourself mighty because we know you're faithful. As we open the altar for people to come forward for prayer, God, whatever people are struggling with or going through, God, I pray that you would speak a word of life. That through the prayers of our prayer team and through the ministers that have come forward, God, I pray that you'd begin doing an incredible work, that those who felt weak would leave strengthened. Those who are hopeless would rebound in a, a overjoyed hope overflowing hope, God. Those who are struggling with uh, dark thoughts and depression and, and just negative feelings, God, they leave here filled with joy because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and the joy of the Lord is our strength. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, they've not made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to give you their heart. Then I pray today, God, that salvation would come to the house of God. And they would make that decision. They would come forward and pray with our prayer team. But God, we just turn this over to you. We give you praise for what you're about to do. And I thank you for letting us be a part of your work. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet for just a few moments. As Tony begins to lead us in a song. If you raised your hand and you're struggling, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you're on the ones that raised your hand, I invite you right now to come forward right where you are and just receive prayer. Let the people of God join with you in praying over your situation. If you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's never been a moment in your life where you said, 
God, please forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to accept what Christ did on the cross on my behalf, and I'm going to place my faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says that you need to make that decision so you can become born again. You can be born into the family of God. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have a relationship with God. You can go to heaven when you pass on from this life and be with God forever and ever and ever. If you've never made that decision, now's the time. You come. But for the next few moments, as Tony leads us, you respond as the Spirit is speaking to your heart. Let's pray. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. 